on uh, January the 9th, we're going to do this new series. It's about marriage, so we're going to talk about that, but really the design for it is this, that this is that invitation piece that you have, people in your life, invite them to come. This, you know, hey, we're going to talk about marriage. If you're not married, give you some great ideas as you're going in, set good expectations, uh, been married, not anymore, right? Also, kind of maybe some of those healing pieces of what, you know, next time. Uh, If you're in a good marriage, I think you'll find some things that'll be helpful. And if you're struggling, that's, uh, we really hope so. So, so make sure you're inviting folk to come. But today we are finishing up Hebrews chapter five. So if you got your Bibles, Hebrews chapter five, we're going to look at these, these uh, last five verses here, 11 to 14. And uh, if you've not been with us, remind you there's really two paths that he's been traveling on. Number one, to these folks who grew up under Judaism, have come to faith in Jesus, or now have experienced grace through his blood, have been saved, but they're facing persecution. So one is he's been reminding them of how far superior Jesus is to anything in the Old Testament. He's a greater revelation. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He just started talking about how he's, he's a greater high priest, and he's going to get to this idea that he, he ministers as a high priest in a greater tabernacle, one in heaven. And in the midst of all of this, he has warned them. Two times, chapter 2, again in chapter 3, we, these warning passages of don't drift, don't fall back, don't turn away, don't, don't go back under Judaism, stay focused on the grace that there is in Christ. Chapter 5, verse 11, really is the beginning of the next warning passage that we're going to study when we get to chapter 6. Now, I think all of you know, but in case you don't, when the author of the book of Hebrews or any biblical author sat down to write their letter, they did not start chapter 1, verse 1, right? They didn't do that. What happened is, it's like, you think about it this morning. If we were going to come and we were going to study the same passage, but we didn't have that, well, hey, go about a third of the way into the book of Hebrews. Look for these words, right? That's, it had been difficult. So people came along afterwards, and they made the chapter dis, uh, divisions, the verse divisions. A lot of it's really good. Some of it, not so much. If Steve had done this, Hebrews 11 or 5.11 would have been Hebrews 6.1. Right, because it really is leading into that. But a wonderful passage, kind of setting the passage up for where he's going. So let's uh, let's read these verses together. Remember, he's just been talking about Melchizedek, this really unique character in the Old Testament. That, that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant." 
But soured food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So he starts out, I called it the regression of inattention. I mean, can, can you kind of hear his disappointment here? Right? You, you're dull of hearing. What, what an interesting expression. Dull of hearing. Uh, he, and not only that, it's, it's an accusation. Notice he says, you have become. It's not like you've always been like this, or this is your natural state. It is that you have become. You, you wouldn't, you're supposed to be teachers. You're supposed to be ready to move on. But you have become dull of hearing. Now, this may not come as a surprise, but I am an auditory learner. That's because I'm a verbal processor, right? Which is why I love weekends. It gives me four opportunities for me to process this passage, right? It may not do anything for you. It does a lot for me. So it's, it's fun because this is how I think. This is how I process. But it's also how I learn. So like in school, I was never a great note taker. In fact, for me, putting notes up on the board, I don't like it. Because I'd rather you look at me, listen to me, right? Because I'm an auditory learner. And yet, believe it or not, I've come to moments in my life where I have been accused of being dull of hearing. Hmm. Any other husbands ever been accused of being dull of hearing? And and here's the thing. I'm not. I am an auditory learner. But I'm also a great multitasker, right? And and I pride myself in the fact that I can have the conversation, do this and do that. And yet, uh, my wife has learned at times when she's talking to me on the phone and I'm doing my email and I'm doing this, that uh, she just says, hey, why don't you call me back when you can concentrate on what I'm saying? I go, no, babe, I got it, right? I got it. And then now, what were you saying, right? So now I'm I'm focusing in. And and here's the thing. I'm usually not aware of the fact that I'm becoming dull of hearing. I I think I'm I'm getting it. But I'm sure, I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but, you know, I got, I I understand it. I mean, I got to go to the store. But then I get to the store, and I have no idea what I'm there for. Right, and then there's the convo, you know, those those awkward conversations. Hey, babe, uh, um, just was wondering what was it you were wanting me to pick up, right? You know, and and doing that back, dull of hearing. What it means is that you're sluggish, you're slow. If you look at Strong's definition of the word, it's actually he he adds in the idea of being lazy. In fact, he's going to use the same Greek word in chapter 6, if you just look over to verse 12, and he says, so that you will not be sluggish. That's how he defines it there. That's how it's interpreted. Sluggish, slow. And his point is this, you have become dull of hearing. So what he's looking at here is an this spiritual, this dull of hearing is pointing to a spiritual unhealth. You should be ready to teach, but you're not. We need to circle back to the things that you've already learned because you're not learning, you didn't learn them well enough to live them. And oh, by the way, did you notice what he says here? Um, he also says this, that um, 
for by the time you ought to be teachers, you, you have need again for these, these first principles. And, and I've got other things I want to explain to you. Like I'd really like to tell you about Melchizedek, who, by the way, is a very small character in the Old Testament. But he is a type of Christ. And so this is, this is a wonderful thing, but you're not ready for this. And this is pointing to a spiritual problem. And then he rolls out here in the end of verse 12, this idea you have come for the need of milk and not solid food. And so he brings in this picture. And it's a picture we all understand. It's, it's a simple picture. It's a healthy human development. So right, uh, the, the lady... Pops out the baby, right? There we go, right? So birth is taking place. So now you got this little kid, and everybody's celebrating, right? Well, in this celebration, you don't say to the little one, hey, we're going to have this steak dinner, right? You're going to enjoy your first meal here on earth, right? You're going to have a steak dinner. Why? Because they can't chew it. They can't digest it. They couldn't swallow it. It would kill them, right? They need milk, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's natural. That's the way God made it. In fact, that's why God just made into women the ability to produce the milk, right? Because that, it's important, that they do that. But as the child grows, they then begin to move into more mature eating. Now, I don't know how it is anymore, right? Any of you who are more my age understand that how we raise kids, they raise them really different today, right? So for us, it was like these stages. You remember going to look at the Gerber's bottle and there's like stage two, stage three, you know, you try and do this. And I can remember when we start introducing salads, right? They would, uh, there was like an oatmeal, rice, Paste. Do you ever taste that stuff? That stuff was brutal. And, uh, and, but they, and you get the little pureed foods and the little you know, stuff out of the Gerber's bottle. And, and then the day came that they could eat what you eat, but you got to cut it up real small, right? And they were in the high chair and you put it on their tray. And if you had a dog, that dog got to live his best life, right? <laughs> In fact, in our house now, when our little granddaughter May comes over, she's about a year and a half, and my son, uh, his, his dog is so happy to see her because he knows he's going to eat good, right? Because she, she doesn't get it all in her mouth, but she also likes that they have a symbiotic relationship. She feeds him, right? It's just life is good. But she's learning to eat those salads. And, and the thing is, is that Spiritually, when you are born into the family of God, when you are entered into his family, you start with milk. And there's nothing wrong with that. The basics, we're going to talk about what it means, the, the milk, but it's basically the basics, the very elementary things that you need to be able to grasp. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now just hang on there a moment. In respect to salvation, the word, remember we've talked about soterio, it means deliverance. He's not talking about justification in that point because they're already born into the family of God. What he's talking about in respect to salvation, deliverance, it is sanctification. It's how do you live this out now? And the word is such an important part. And so it's good, it's healthy, but here's the author's point here. 
When we do not grow beyond milk or when we're on to solid foods and we go back and milk's the only thing that we can handle, it's a sign of unhealth. If you have a child who can't ever move on to solid foods, what are you going to do? You're going to take them to the doctor. There's a problem. And you've got to get that piece figured out. Well, spiritually, when Christians don't ever move past the basics, the building blocks, it's, it shows their unhealth. Paul uses very same analogy when he wrote the, to the Corinthian believers. He says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as the men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able to. So he says, I came, I presented the gospel, I gave you milk, but now when you should be ready to handle meat, you can't. In fact, he's already diagnosed a spiritual problem. Did you see that? You are fleshly. You're focused on the wrong thing. You're not focused on the things of Christ. He's identified the problem. And so that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. In fact, doesn't this sound a lot like that first warning passage back in chapter 2? Chapter 2, verse 1 says, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. And now he comes back and he says, listen, you, you should be a teacher, but you're still in the milk thing. You need us to circle back around. There's a spiritual problem here because you're stuck on milk. Now, the question is, what is milk? And the best thing that I could tell you is that milk is to learn and live the ABCs of Christianity, the basic building blocks, the, the basic principles that are there. It, that's what, it, in fact, notice he uses the expression, it's translated the elementary principles. Well, in Greek, the literal translation would be the ABCs, right? You can't learn a language without knowing the alphabet. You can't learn to spell words. And if you don't have words, you can't put them into sentences. If you can't put sentences, you can't write letters, right? So it all starts with the ABCs. You learn mathematics. Where does it start? One plus one equals two, right? You got to get that. You got to know that. that. That's where it all begins. But you don't just have to know it you have to live it right you think of uh people who learn one plus one equals two and yet you watch them how they do finances right and you kind of scratch your head and their head their their life's all a mess right because they don't live math so what are the basics what are the building blocks to be fair in the context, and we always say context is king, so I want you to know he's going to actually lay out six things that he's thinking about in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. We don't really have time to go there. I don't want to get us too far ahead because that really builds into that warning. We'll get there in February. But I thought I wanted to talk today about what, what we look at as some of the very basics right? Some of those, those important things, those, those things. In fact, to be honest with you, you will have heard them before. I guarantee it. 
But these are the things that we see as those basic truths that not only have to be learned, but they had to be lived. Like I said, you may have heard of it before. Engage with God. Why? Well, what's the, the primary truth of Christianity is that this is about relationship and not religion, right? That our relationship with God is built on faith, and it's not just a matter of the hoops that we jump through and the boxes that we tick and, you know, all of these kind of things, but the fact that, that we have a a personal, loving, heavenly Father who saved us, who we were born into his family, and that we are going to be with him forever, and it's about relationship with him. That's what he calls us to. John 17 says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and your son whom you have set. It's relationship. You don't get that. You don't live that. You're not going to move forward. God loves you. And so how, how do we engage with God? Well, part of it is we engage with him through his word, right? That's where he's revealed to us. That's, you know, his hopes, his dreams. I don't know that I've ever shared this with the church before this weekend. But most of you know my story, right? I was, uh, when my oldest son was born, uh, my first wife, uh, a complication set in and she passed away. And she was, a, she was a godly young lady, and she, she used to love to journal her time with the Lord. In fact, she'd take what she learned, and she would write it into a prayer of how she wanted God to change her heart. Well, thumbing through her journal, we found that through her pregnancy, she had written, I think it was four letters to her unborn child. And I'll never forget the day when Jamie was old enough to understand. Because, you know, we had we'd talked to him about his birth mom. We'd show pictures. I told stories. But now he got to see from her own words, her own hand, her dreams, her hopes, what she thought of him. Folk, do you all know that you have a loving heavenly father? who maybe today, right, we've not seen face to face, but he loves you. And in his book, in his letters, he, he tells us what he thinks of you, his, his hopes, his dreams, his aspirations for you, his wisdom about how to, how to navigate this life. And so we got to study the word. we got to read the word. And so how do, how do we begin to engage with God once to get into Word? So, you know, how do you do that? Well, one thing is we're, we're heading into 2022. Uh, I think, right? Is it 2020? Yeah, okay. It gets, gets confusing anymore. You know, one of the really fun things you could do is you could set up and have this goal of reading through the Bible in a year. There's all kinds of plans on version. You can find a, you know, read through the Bible in a year on Amazon. Uh, it, it, they've actually measured it. It takes about 12 to 15 minutes a day is all. But what a cool thing. For some of you, you know, it still may seem to be a little bit. Well, then pick up a daily devotional. In fact, I, I, 
probably the best known daily devotion, 365, just a little one page. I mean, literally take five minutes. Uh, probably the best known one is one called My Utmost for His Highest, written by a man by the name of Oswald Chambers. But just get into the Word every day. And then and once you get into the Word, you want to pray, right? Because the Word is how He speaks to us. Prayer is how we speak to Him. And set those those. You know, it's a great thing about our phones, right? You can, get, you can even get prayer apps or just set reminders to pray. Set the discipline of every morning when that alarm goes off, the first thing I'm going to do is talk to Jesus about my day. Engage with God. That's where it begins. Then from there, we got to connect with others. What's the principle? Well, the principle is that you and I were born into community. We were born into the family of God. There is not one Christian that God made to be isolated. In fact, let's even go back to this picture here of milk and meat. So the baby pops out. If the baby is left on the side of the road, for nobody to care and nobody to nurture, that baby's not going to make it. It was born into a family. Someone's got to nurture it. In fact, I, I, man, I so appreciate the people who do, um, uh, you know, adoption. And one of the harder pieces is sometimes the adoption from other countries. And they bring these children home and they love them so much. But some of the hugest struggles that those kids have is that they didn't have anybody nurture them in those early days and weeks. It's tough. The guy even got names for it. You know, the disassociation, all that. It's hard. Because we were made to be in community. A baby was made to be nurtured and fed. So we got to get in community. Well, how do you do that? We get in a Bible study group. You, you uh, get in a connect group. You, you find somebody who you know is a Christian and you ask them to mentor you. You find Christians in your life and you spend time with them. And Why? Because we need, we, none of us were called. I, I can't do this as a Lone Ranger. We were placed in the family of God. In fact, the picture he gives is that we're the body of Christ. All of us have this peace. We are part of one another. Connect with others. The third thing, of course, then is live on mission. And the principle is this. This world's not our home. When you think about it, isn't that really the heart of the book of Hebrews? He keeps pushing us to look. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. There's an inheritance out there. There's a day we're going to stand before Jesus. Today we'll get to rule and reign with him. This life matters. Live for that day. This world is not our home. Folks, that is a basic truth that every Christian has got to build their life on and not just know they got to live. And let me, let me be somewhat bold here. No one, no one, I'm being very categorical, no one ever will mature in their Christian life without learning and living those three things. You don't engage with God, you're not going to become mature. Impossible. You don't connect with others, you're not going to become mature. It is impossible. You don't know and live for that day, you will never 
grow to maturity. It is impossible. Those are the foundational principles of Christianity. And his point is, you become dull of hearing. When you should be teaching these basic things to other believers coming up, you need for us to go back around and circle around because you're not living it. You're not growing to maturity. And see, here's the problem. So many of us, when we think of maturity, what we think is, is age. Well, I've been a Christian for 20 years. We think of it as knowledge. Oh, but yeah, I, I, went, to, I went to a Bible school. I, I go to all these Bible classes. I, I have all this knowledge, folk. Maturity is not about age. I've met boatloads of Christians who have known Jesus for 20 years and they have never gotten past the elementary things. And it is not about knowledge. In fact, notice how he puts it. End of verse 13. For everyone who partakes of only a milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, right? So it's not just justification, it's sanctification. What is maturing to do? It is to make me more righteous, more like Jesus. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil, it is, it's to make me more like Christ. That is maturity. Maturity is the ability to live more like Jesus. So, let me be transparent. The author here starts this with a word of disappointment, right? Man. You should be ready to teach, and yet you're still on the milk. You've become dull in your hearing, sluggish. I've been in ministry, full-time ministry, a long time. Actually, last spring it was 40 years. By the way, I am much younger in person. <laughs> Started when I was like three or four or something like that, right? There have been a lot of highs. There's been some very hurtful lows. But can I tell you as a pastor, and I'm not alone in this, I've had these conversations with other pastors. One of the most disappointing periods of my life started in March of 2020. Because there were people that I looked at as mature. People that I looked at who sat under my ministry talking about engaging with God. And yet all of a sudden their life became crippled with fear. Well, how can I be engaging with God knowing that he holds me in the palm of my hand and now I live my life in fear.
I saw people who I thought for all these years we talked about what it means to live on mission. This world is not our home. But whether it was COVID, whether it was the racial tension that flared out of the whole Floyd situation, whether it was the election, their opinion of those situations were more important than understanding this world is not our home. And they would post on social media. They would buy t-shirts that express their opinion without giving any thought to the fact that in this culture which you and I live, whatever position that is, you now have just alienated 50% of the people in your life who need to know about Jesus. Because of that, they're not going to listen to me anymore. We forgot this world is not our home. And we got focused on the wrong things. And quite honestly, a lot of people left, a lot of people in their life that God had strategically put them in. But because of their opinions and how they felt like it had to be expressed and their freedom and all of this stuff, they lost sight of the fact that we were created for community. And there's no grace, there's no forgiveness, there's no sensitivity, there's no compassion. And I kept thinking about, do you remember when Paul was having that discussion about do you eat meat with idols or not, whatever, and kind of got the idea, my, you know, Paul liked a good steak, and he says, we all know, we all have knowledge, right? It, it, it's nothing, right? But he says, if I were to eat the steak and it was a friend, my brother, I will never again eat a steak. Maturity is not knowledge. I told you the story years ago about a lady I visited when I was on staff at another church. And she took me and showed me her theological library, quite honestly, a small seminary, probably kind of envious of. And all the people that she read, and yet for the next 45 minutes to an hour, she criticized and complained about every church in that part of town. And pointed it everywhere. Do you understand what he says here in the last part of verse 14? Have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Folk, it's not that hard to look out there and see good and evil. It's kind of easy. You know where it's hard? It's to look in here. That's what he's saying. Maturity is not just knowing, but it is living. It is becoming more like Christ. And this spiritual maturity ought to affect every aspect of my life. It ought to make me a better husband to my wife, to love and to nurture her. It better make me a better dad, a better grandpa, a better shepherd to you, a better neighbor to my neighbors, a better friend to my friend. Maturity is just not knowledge. 
Maturity is becoming more like Jesus. Responding with grace. Showing compassion. But always keeping in mind what's what's this all about. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and oh, by the way, now he is set at the right hand of the throne on high. He understood what it was to live on mission. Did you ever notice the things that Jesus never talked about here? Did you know he had an opinion about? You and I are called to live in maturity. Maturity is built on the building blocks, the milk. But it's not just knowing them. It's living them out. All that we will be people who are not dull of hearing. 